to another episode of Business Conversations with faculty experts from the UNT G. Brent Ryan College of Business. Today, I'm happy to welcome Professors Bob Heer and Matt Walker to the podcast. Professors Heer and Walker have joined UNT over recent years to develop the sport entertainment management programs at UNT. Both are leading scholars in the field of sport management, and together they have rapidly grown our undergraduate and graduate programs in sport entertainment management not the least because of their excellent relationships with leading sport organizations like the Dallas Cowboys, the PGA of America, the Dallas Mavericks, the Dallas Stars, the Texas Rangers, and many of the minor league teams in the DFW area. Both are fathers to young children, two boys for Matt and one girl for Bob, and spend most of their time outside work with their families. Thank you both for joining us here today, this Business Conversations podcast. We're excited to talk about the sports industry topic here today. And just want to start things off by asking the biggest question on everyone's mind. When are we going to see the Cowboys back on the field? When or how, I think. (laughs) The when is, is, I I, I don't think that's, that's too much of an issue. I think that we're going to start maybe in time, maybe a couple of weeks late, but we'll start this fall. We'll have an NFL season. The question is how? So will there be any audience? Will there be limited audience? Will it just be for TV? That's what I'm curious about because I, I'm comfortable that they're going to play in front of the television or in front of the television audience. That will happen. It's just how it's going to happen in the stadium, whether someone's going to be there, that I'm not certain of. Yeah, it's a good point. Actually, Brian McCarthy, the NFL spokesman, came out this morning and said it's basically business as usual. The schedule's coming out next week. They're anticipating all systems go September 10th. Now, obviously, we're in uncertain time, so that could change. Uh, but to Bob's point, he's exactly right. The manner in which the sport's going to come back is an interesting one. I mean, does the NFL, it doesn't matter for them. And we can get into the nuances of it as we go through the podcast, but a live audience is great. Do they need it? There's another great question. Yeah, and I think what, what separates here is the minor leagues and the major leagues, right? So the major leagues can come back because they, they generate enough revenue uh, from, from television viewers, the advertising and all that. So, they, you know, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, NFL, they, they will come back or they'll start the season in some kind of capacity or format. What becomes more interesting is minor leagues who are dependent on attendance. They might cancel the season altogether. And college sports, I don't know where Matt is on that, but I'm not sure about college sports because that is a big revenue from, for them from the audience, right? That's where most oh, yeah. of the revenue still comes from. I mean, television revenue has gone up a lot the last few years, but it's still a lot of that is, is, is attendance-driven revenue. And, and I'm not sure how they're gonna do that. Matt, what, yeah, what do you think? No, you're exactly right. I mean, these are small college schools, aside from the Alabamas, the Floridas, the SECs, the big time, big conferences, who generate significant dollars off of TV deals. The smaller schools are gonna be hurting. I mean, they rely heavily on gate proceeds, concessions, uh, the game day experience, the, the, the towns that they, that they operate in rely on external people coming in for those weekends. If that can't happen, that's a huge blow for the NCAA. I mean, losing the tournament last month, right? Think of all the ripple yeah. for even smaller market teams for their first time engaging in that, in that cool spectacle sport. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an, an, an unpredictable time, but certainly the universities are looking at this. I haven't seen, Bob, have you, a whole lot of announcements from 
college sport regarding what their plans are, if their businesses go, it's, it's pretty dark right now. Yeah, Ren Baker, our own athletic director for UNT, was, was very positive about how UNT is handling it and that they're, uh, they, they have enough reserve to deal with this right now, but I think they're all scared yeah. very much about you know, how fall and, and particularly college football because it's the biggest revenue driver. And, and I think they're just hoping. I think they're still keeping their fingers crossed and just <laughs> you know, hope that the situation improves. Yeah, understandably so, I think for a lot of reasons. So that kind of brings me to my next question, Bob. So how, there's been a lot of controversy, a lot of talk recently about the LA Lakers getting 4.6 million in coronavirus federal aid. What are sort of your thoughts about that? When I saw that question that you sent me, I, I kind of had to smirk because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, right? It, it's awkward. The Lakers should not have applied for it. Uh, but just, just to give the, the, the framework here for, for anybody who listens, um, because a lot of people don't realize this, sport teams by definition are small businesses. And even the big ones like the Lakers, I mean, the Cowboys might actually be one of the few exceptions, but most of them have less than 500 employees. So they're by definition small businesses. And of course, they've been hit hard by this coronavirus, harder than most other industries. And it's very unclear what the long-term effects are for it. So having said that, if you make 178 million in operating income the year before, and you're a billion dollar uh, organization, you should not apply for this. And, and it was a big mistake and, and they were called out for it. What I like about this though, and, and this is always the thing with sports is, and we call it signal theory. And sports does it, it's not the only one, but because sport attracts so many eyeballs and everybody loves it and so passionate about it, we become aware of a situation. And what the Lakers actually signified there was well, you know what, this whole policy, how it's been set up by the American government is somewhat awkward. And let's not pretend that the Lakers were the only one who got, you know, money unjustified. That's true. Um, I think there are thousands of companies out there that said, hey, we can get some money here. We're going to do it, whether they needed it or not. And it's impossible to kind of figure that out. And, you know, I, fortunately, a lot of the organizations that, that realized what they did, gave the money back. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it was awkward. And, and I'm glad that the Lakers did the right thing and give the money back, um, whether they did that because they were called out on it or whether they just realized it was the wrong thing. So, um, and they were the only ones, right? So maybe we should have talked about Mark Cuban doing the right thing with the Mavericks and, uh, um, but yeah. It, it Look, was well, nobody talks about that, man, right? Everybody talks about it. the Lakers got it negative vilified and then they give it back and now they are landmark in their decision making right same with some of the other like the shake shacks right it's in the news for almost a couple of weeks now when traditionally those sort of items would filter out of the news cycle i still see shake shack and some of these others represented in that narrative of like ah oh, they're give it back they're philanthropic so maybe you applaud the lakers for their media savvy expertise in this area of you know a lot of white noise Nevertheless, Bob is correct. It's an awkward thing, but they flip the script quite well. Absolutely. So, well, Matt, speaking of budgets, um, do you think sport franchises will be adjusting their budgets in the future and how they kind of allocate their funds now since they've realized that something like this could happen and maybe they need to save a little differently, use their money a little more wisely? How do you think they'll kind of adjust things moving forward? 
Yeah, so my answer to that is probably not really. I mean, these business owners, those professional sport franchise owners, they're not philanthropists, right? They don't give anything away for free. They're billionaires, a couple times over, most of them, and they're franchise owners because they own them because they're profitable businesses. And these guys generally, or girls, generally have other business interests as well. Um, they understand business, they understand contingency planning, they understand budgeting. Um, so this is nothing new for them. Um, uh, the question, you know, and they, they have a specific model of revenue in sports. There's only a couple of streams that you have to manage, which is very different from other businesses. They've got marketing and sponsorship and game day revenue. And that, for the most part, it is it. Uh, and a lot of them are reliant on sort of this broadcast revenue, smaller market organizations and leagues like hockey and auto racing and some others could be, you know, feel the pinch a little bit here, but not necessarily beholden to those live viewership revenues. And a couple of leagues actually created a contingency plan for this several years ago, all the collective bargaining agreements and work stoppages. Now, technically this is a work stoppage, but it's not like the players wanting to get something, the owners wanting to get something, and there's a sort of give and take that turns the consumer off, right? It's sort of this negative perception about you quit the season, you made this happen, whereas this is just sort of an unforeseen thing, right? An outside influence that changed the narrative a little bit. But they have like escrow accounts that they put money into, so they do save for these types of things. Um, but it doesn't necessarily change their, their budgeting model that much. And the one that stands to gain the most from this, as opposed to when there's like a work stoppage, are in fact the fans. Because when sports come back, they're gonna come back in a big way. There's gonna be a lot of competing interests, which is another interesting test case and how they navigate this really crowded marketplace when you know, potentially you could have Major League Baseball opening day at the same time as the NBA and mm -hmm. any offs. I mean, that's gonna be a really weird test case for where people allocate their loyalties. And that puts something like Major League Baseball opening day kind of on the back burner, where for a baseball guy like, like me, it might've been a front and center type of thing and ticket sales are not going to get any cheaper uh they never have historically they go up every year they, they don't go down they could go down a little bit for the consumer in this sort of post COVID 19 era um but for the most part the value is going to stay the same um but in terms of your original question do they change their budgeting model not appreciably uh, you know and it, it's going to change maybe the way they deliver their product to our original point um which could actually help them a lot more than it can hurt them with more eyes on the product and obviously Generate more dollars, right? Yeah, and I don't know. Hold on, I would like to chime in there a second because I want to run this by Matt, see what he thinks. Because we've talked about this. I mean, the budgeting doesn't change, but the allocation of funds. And so we go back to college sports, and college sports attendance has been going down for years. I mean, COVID is just speeding that process up, you know, considerably. But it was already a downward trend, and what we've kind of come to realize is that. Every year, more and more people enjoy the comfort of their couches and their fridges over going yeah. to sitting on a bench in the sun in the heat. And I think what has going to happen with this COVID now, once, you know, Dr. Fauci says, hey, you can go back to life and do what you need to do. There's still going to be people say, hey, I'm not going to a sports stadium. I'm not going to be packed into a stadium with 100,000 people. So how does that change the stadium post-COVID? I think it's going to go further than, hey, we need to have sanitation or, you know, we need to have masks. It, it, people will want to have a more, you know, home kind of resembling situation in the stadium, right? So if you look at, at, at minor league baseball, to some extent, they've done that for years already where you have, you know, concourses where you can walk around, where you can hang out at a bar. We don't have to sit in your seat. And I think that current volume-based, hey, let's push as many seats into the stadium 
to make as much money as possible, I think that's going to be a challenge over the next few years. And people are going to look at different designs and different ways to actually accommodate people in the stadium um, and still generate revenue. But I think the current model, I don't know. I don't know if they can go back to that. We'll, we'll, yeah. have, we'll have to see how this, how, how this goes. I mean, it really depends on what context you're talking about. In college sport, for sure, the rush is going to be to get people back in the stadiums. But for the NFL, the rush is not necessarily there. I mean, I think the NFL famously had said years ago that 95% of their fans never go to a game. And they generate so much money off their TV revenue that they are virtually recession-proof, right? So Yeah, 100% true. Yeah, yeah they, don't, they don't care. But in college sport context, it's completely different. NHL is really beholden to season ticket revenues because they just don't get the primetime slots for hockey games, I mean, they get a Saturday afternoon slot pretty traditionally, a midweek or a Wednesday type of game on a niche network. So those are the leagues that you're really going to have to look to to make creative decisions. The, the rich are going to get richer no matter what, and the consumer is the one that's going to be, you know, they're going to spend the same amount for a ticket as they normally have. So we'll see. Budgeting model is going to be interesting. But, yes, it's very context-specific, and that's why sport is such a unique test case for these things. Yeah, those are both really good points. And, you know, speaking of being creative in your deliverables and everything, um, how do you kind of anticipate digital platforms, Bob, to come into play for increasing consumer engagement in both the short and long term of the industry? I mean, I'm thinking first that come to mind is, is Red Zone. That's obviously a huge revenue builder for the NFL. But do you think maybe some other things like that or, or you know, more esports things would come into more play to build revenue in different ways? Yeah, I mean, uh the red zone is as popular as it can be, right? I mean, where, where can you go? People watch red zone. They love it. It's a highlight reel. You go from action to action. Um, I, I think when, when you can't go to the stadium and do in person, you're looking for alternative platforms, virtual platforms to socialize. Right. Uh, you know, Matt and I are now doing an online poker game that, you know, because we can't meet in person, right? So <laughs> that's going to happen in sports as well. They, they already are positioned well to take advantage of that, but they'll, they'll, they'll elaborate and they'll they'll uh, expand those platforms right for virtual communities the end of the day though for traditional sports it is about community coming together i did the the, the the great thing about sports is it's entertaining but not too entertaining which means you can actually talk to somebody while you're watching it right if you watch a great movie you gotta shut up you can't talk but if you watch a great game you can still talk with each other right you can interact with the community and it's so hard to do that virtually. And so community is still driven by life events. So I, I, I think to some, since somehow it will have to come back. Uh, but, you know, right now, while people can't do it, they're looking for virtual ways to talk. I, I know people are, you know, don't go on Zoom and watch a game together or things like that. That's going to happen more and more, particularly now that we're becoming more comfortable with these uh, virtual uh, platforms. Yeah, I mean, the sport leagues are entertainment companies, right? It's almost like an analogous to your cable box, where the cable box itself is sort of the league, how it governs the structure and the individual channels and the guide channel are your individual teams. The more eyes on those products, the more valuable they are. How can you get more eyes on the products? Well, expanding your digital reach is probably the best way. And this is giving teams a real opportunity to perhaps re-envision the strategy that they have or create a whole new strategy that they hadn't even thought of yet. Uh, certainly, there's capitalization on that now. A lot of teams are supporting esports ventures where they have their players go on and play you know, simulated games and stream those live on their Twitch channels or wherever. But things like on-demand sports viewership, which we haven't really thought of past. I mean, certainly you can record a game on your TiVo. Is TiVo even a thing anymore or is that? I don't know. 
<laughs> podcast for a different day. But nevertheless, <laughs> on-demand options for people, these sort of real-time streaming mechanisms. The, the, the challenging part is the white noise. You have a sea of information out there. And I don't know how many made-for-TV movies I can watch now before sports come back. But when it does come back, there's going to be this glut, right? All of them are going to be at once. There's ticket renewal options now for people, and they might just choose not to do that. So you might go with an online viewership or Major League Baseball gives away their season ticket for free and in exchange for some advertising coupons or something. I'm not sure what that quite looks like, but the digital strategy component is going to only ramp up in the future. And Bob is a community guy, and I, I love that about him and his perspective. So he loves the social network and the camaraderie and you know, sort of the informational exchange that happens at the game. So I think teams are going to be looking for ways to do that and build that relationship online. It's challenging. I mean, people sit on their phones and they use social media very rampantly these days, but he's right. They don't necessarily consume sports in a sort of group setting like that online. So I think that's the sweet spot. Figure that out and you got it all figured out. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with the community aspect too. I grew up in New Hampshire going to the Red Sox games in the seventh inning stretch of Sweet Caroline. You just can't. <laughs> can't replicate that in digital Hard to replicate online. That's correct. <laughs> so, well, so you guys also mentioned um, that obviously there's going to be some overlap, some ticket competition for different sports teams because a lot of teams are talking about now extending their seasons this year. So, if you think that'll happen, how do you think that potential overlap of different sports playing at the same time will really impact things besides maybe, you know, increasing or you know decreasing ticket sales? I mean, there's going to be some cannibalization, right? There's going to have to be some picking and choosing, particularly the scenario we painted earlier that baseball opening day could occur during NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs. And weirdly, the start of the NFL season, it could be this sort of just weird confluence of sport like we've never seen. It's going to be either really great I, or really poor. I opt for the former. I think it's going to be amazing. Um, and think about if you're a sports better, legal sports betting, right? If you're wagering, you know, chips or fictitious money or something like that. What, you know, what better spot to be in from a consumer perspective of having sort of all this inundation with the sports? Uh, it's going to be interesting, but there is going to be some cannibalization of, of sports properties. And I think it's going to be an interesting test case for the sort of competition aspect between who comes out on top of that, of that proverbial pie. What do you think, Bobby? For all those sports fans out there that are listening to this, right? All, all five of them. Zero of them, right? <laughs> Here's my, here's my advice. Spend as much time with your family right now, right? I mean, cramp it all in 24-7, build that buffer. So when it comes back this fall and there's going to be great sport events six nights a week, right? Because that's how it's going to work. Oh, it's yeah. going to be every night, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, MLB, NFL, college football. I mean, we're going to have so much fun this fall. So spend as much time with your family now. So this fall, you can just go all out and, and I mean, that TV is not going to be turned off. I mean, yeah, there's going to be a lot of domestic situations happening. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a lot of arguments over, over family time versus me time. And I don't know, the COVID argument, we'll see how long that works for dads and, and fathers and husbands out there. But yeah, Bob is absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an exciting time. So yes, you're right. It'll be interesting, too, because a lot of TV programs, they're not doing filming right now. So there's going Correct. to be a lapse in, in new shows coming out. And that's when sports will probably just take over. Yeah, I mean, we've seen even history is, is destined to repeat itself, right? Even after lockout scenarios where consumer interest in a product is super low, particularly baseball, who's had more than most. I mean, eight or so over the last, you know, 30 years 
and some of them major stoppages, whole seasons, half seasons here and there. Uh, consumers have come back basically lockstep every year. I mean, year on year ticket sales and viewership ratings tend to be almost exactly the same. And you've got a situation now where this isn't volitional. Teams didn't choose to lock the players out. Players didn't choose to lock out the owners. This is something that happened because of, you know, the greater scheme of things. So I think consumers are wary of that. I think they know that sports are going to be on their side. And I hope they, they come with guns blazing because it'll be awesome to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that same note, I guess for both of you, besides the adjusted seasons in the short term, how do you think the industry, and I know you guys really talked about this and touched on it a little bit throughout this podcast, but how do you think the sports industry is ultimately going to look differently in the future? Maybe yeah, just, I'll, you know, two years down the line even. I'll give you an example of, of what we're actually working on with our program. Um, we, we got in touch with, with the Louisville Yellow, Yellow Jackets, which, which uh, is, a, is, is a third tier professional basketball team here. They are thinking about building their own arena and we're in touch with them and saying, Hey, let's, let's have our students design the post coronavirus arena for you to come with ideas on how can you generate revenue streams in the arena that fit with the times, right? That are no longer based on, Hey, we need to have, you know, seat by seat by seat by seat by seat with no social distancing whatsoever versus what else can we do? to figure out, okay, how do we do that? Because yes, more and more is going to go online. More and more people will watch their, 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 their sports through television or other kinds of media and esports will continue to gain some popularity. Um, but I, I, I think that's going to be the intriguing part, the life component of sports and how we can accommodate the needs of people post Corona because the, the fear, is going to stay with us for for years. I mean, this this thing is so infectious. It's going to stay around. I mean, we're going to get you know not not maybe not this big of a wave anymore, but it will continue to stay on, right? So um, it will be fascinating to see how it will be turning out. Yeah, and think about you know if you have an empty stadium in a football arena or a basketball arena, the camera angles you could now get with nobody in the seats the virtual experience you could potentially create with those angles and how you sort of implement and play with play with different things from media perspective. So I think uh, Bob's exactly right. I mean, people aren't gonna wanna come back too quickly. And for the most part, most people don't. I mean, the NFL is a great scenario of that where even if you sold out every NFL game of every NFL team in every market on a weekend, you're talking about 2 million people. I mean, that's you know 5% of our population could even go to an NFL game if they choose to we got 95% of the other people out there that are comfortable at home. And if you can make that experience even better from your home than it was before, you're going to see a massive transformation in the industry in terms of how they consume, digest, and produce live media. I mean, you know, the NFL Red Zone you mentioned early on is an amazing channel, right? I don't know what we did pre-Red Zone, but you want to think about it. It's like the black box of, of NFL fandom. Um, but yeah, that consumer experience, Bob is absolutely correct. The stadium of the future is probably going to be different. Um, we're going to market things in a, in a different way and think about things through a different lens, but it's sports, right? They're super resilient. They've come back from issues before, and this certainly isn't something that's going to cripple any league out there. Um, I think it behooves us to talk about a little bit the, the minor leagues, the ones that are really going to feel the pinch, some small universities out there that are already cutting sports, it's a, it's a trying time for a lot of them. So I think the more we can do to sort of uplift and think about and keep positive perspectives on those things uh, are good. And any changes that sport decide to make, well, they're probably for the better and if they're for the worse, then we can bemoan them later. 
Well, yeah, those are some great points. And thinking about, you know, how COVID has really impacted the sports industry, how has this also impacted student internship opportunities? I hear a lot of students are having trouble getting internships in general. So I would imagine the sports industry is really hard. What are your thoughts on that, Bob? Well, that's that's simple, right? 100% of our internships were canceled. It's, it's that simple. There are no internships. There's no sports. There's nothing going on. Um, so Matt and I, um, about a month and a half ago, already started planning for it because we saw that coming. And we have students who need an internship to graduate, who need the work experience. So we put together for this, this summer a, a living lab initiative in which students uh, will work in small groups for an industry client um, and do weekly uh, Zoom lectures with their project manager and then with different people in the organization. So we put that out on, on LinkedIn last month and, and we have about nine, 10 companies now, I think. We actually have more clients than we actually have students. Yeah, good problem. And that's with them. So um, just to get some kind of internship experience. Now, it's not ideal, right? I mean, there will be less interaction between the, 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 the industry partner and, and the student. But at least they get to put a line on their resume. They will be working on a project for them. They'll get exposure. They'll have some interviews with some people. So it's a different creative way to uh, to get the internships. And um, so I'm not that worried about the internships. What I'm more worried about is the job placement, you know, for people who graduate this spring and uh, for our MBA students who will graduate in December because right now people are being laid off people are being furloughed people get salary you know decreases so it's it's not a time where sport organizations are hiring anyone so you know that's 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 the fear now yeah those are all great points exactly and you've got to have people in the industry that want to embrace a new model of the internship experience usually it's a hands-on type of field experience where they're there and immersed in the in the culture and the company um, but this could be a different look for an internship in the future. We're doing ours virtually. It's a test case. We'll see how it works out. We won't know until the tail end of the summer. Students have embraced it. Our clients have embraced it. We have certainly embraced it. It's a lot more pressure on us and them to deliver things, but we're all ebbing and flowing with the changing times, and this is just part of it. So we, we feel for the students out there that maybe have lined up really killer you know, opportunities that don't get to partake in those now, um, but but if you're a student out there and you're listening, press your faculty, press your university, press your unit to come up with some creative solutions because you, you can only get that experience one way and that's by immersion. Uh, and you can't really do that online. So you try to make it work, but you know, please you know, raise your hand and, and have a voice and, and try to stimulate some interest in doing those things if you can. Yeah, and with that being said, what would you guys say your advice to students that are either currently pursuing a sports management degree or thinking about going into that field? Get a business degree. Yeah, get, yeah, a, come. Get, get, get a business degree, right? So sport management is interdisciplinary. Sometimes it's in kinesiology. Sometimes it's in, in liberal arts. Sometimes it's a standalone. At UNT, we're doing it as a bachelor of business administration and a master's of business administration. So the business degrees, there's specialization within. So we prepare our students technically for any business job, you know, opportunity out there. And I think right now, if you want to be if you want to get a job, I mean, <laughs> play it safe, get that business degree, get the BBA behind your name or the MBA. And if then you happen to get the job, one of the coveted jobs in sport right now, yay, great, we'll celebrate high five. But if not, you're at least positioned well to get a job, right? And to take care of your family, to gain work experience. And you can always pivot later on in your career to, to a sport organization. 
because it is easier to you know start work for the sport organization if you have work experience than going straight from school. So um, for those who are considering it, I, that's the advice I would give them. Um, and for those who are already in it, I would say, you know, if you're about to graduate, take any job you can get your hands on. Right? Don't, don't be picky, get a job. And there are 30 million people right now unemployed and those are the only ones that we've registered, there are probably more. So if you can get a job right now, you take it and, and, you know, and figure out afterwards what the next step will be. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a scary world. Yeah, focus, you know, my advice is similar to Bob's. It would be focus on the skills that you can acquire. And students out there, if you're listening, you've got a lot of time on your hands right now. Use it to your advantage, you know, gain some skills, do some training courses, pick up whatever skills in the gig economy that you potentially can and look for those programs if you're aspiring to go to a sport management program that provides you with those skills. You know, some are not promoting any programs out there. I think they're all fantastic, but some of them provide you with just those survey courses, right? Those sort of 30,000 foot perspectives of a topic with some theory sprinkled in. They don't actually teach you those skills, abilities, and competencies that you're going to need, especially in times when the market is not hiring. Uh, you need to differentiate, differentiate yourself in, in a way that's unique. A uh, business degree does that, right? It's, it's sort of the, the best master's degree you can get as an MBA, or has the most sort of luster to it out there, in our opinion. We work in a business school, so we're obviously, uh, but we feel like that's a very valuable thing, and I echo everything that Bob said, but yeah, those skills, abilities, competencies that you can build and, and put in your toolbox, second to none in terms of value. Yeah, and as you guys mentioned, I mean, it seems to be a pretty fail-safe industry Maybe not in the short term, it's not looking so great, but it will come back in full force. So I'm confident that our students will do well. Even innovation yeah. potential. I mean, that's what, I'm sorry, Bobby, I'm gonna cut you off. No worries. Yeah, when we're looking to, when, when sports gonna reopen and hire and they start to look for people to onboard, they want those innovators or those people that can think about a problem differently. If there was a, ever was a problem to solve now, it's you know, how do you re-engage consumers start to think about those fundamental questions that the sport industry is going to be asking, do your diligence, do your research on those questions and be ready to answer them for them. Come with ideas, think about what their challenges are. It's not hard to find these things, right? It's all online, right? <laughs> you can search for articles from every sports talking head on the planet right now because that's all they've got to do is talk. So figure out where those pain points are coming it's not easy, you know, it's not hard to figure out, figure out where it is and start to work through those problems. Start to think about creative solutions to these things that you could potentially present to an employer in the next couple of months or to us as faculty looking to onboard new graduate students into our program. We want those people to be associated with it because we interface with these industry professionals on a daily basis. Um, so those things are critically important in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would. He's absolutely right. So I want to. I want to end on a, on a high note because you know I was reflecting on my words and it sounded a bit pessimistic. But we're all pessimistic. <laughs> here's the thing, right? Sports has always been recession proof, right? Even in 2008, 2001, you know, all the sports just went on and and kept growing and kept growing. It's gonna be. Yep. And because of that, a lot of the practices in sport have have not been questioned in a long time, right? This is how yes. we're gonna do it because this is how we did it, and this and it, it still works, works right? <laughs> Now, because of this, this is the first recession that had, that hit sports since World War II, practically, right? This is this is a moment where everybody's like, "Hey, let's question what we're doing." Right? So they're questioning everything right now. And I've had some, you know, inside conversations with people. You know, season length and and period might change, and and uh, the revenue models might. Everything is now being analyzed. So if you are young and 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 
and you come with all these wild ideas. I don't think there had been, it's been a better time to introduce and to discuss those ideas and, and um, uh, you know, go out there. So in that regard, it's a very interesting, exciting field for anyone to get involved in. And as Matt said, we're trying to help students, you know, get those creative ideas out there and, 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 and change the industry because whether we like it or not, the industry will change. Amen. Yeah, I, I really appreciate all your input, you guys. This was some pretty fascinating information to take in. And it should be really interesting to see how things are moving forward and all the innovation that comes out of what we're presented with. But, you know, challenging times comes for interesting futures. So we should see how it, how it comes out. So do you guys have any other final thoughts you might want to include here? Go mean green. <laughs> I, I, I second that. Go mean green. <laughs> we're, we're we're glad that UNT is in a good spot. We're 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 glad that 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 we are involved with a program that I think is is situated well to deal with this and and to give their students a future even in these times. Um, so I, I'm still optimistic on how we move forward. And uh, yeah, we're excited to be here. Well, we're thankful to have you too as faculty members because I know you're really pushing the program forward and giving our students some good things to think about in the classroom. We will be recession proof. We'll be COVID-19 proof. So thank you, Blake. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs>